blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, SCORE! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome to another episode of Avalanche Talk, Mile High Sports Podcast, where we talk all things Avalanche, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, JJ Jerez. As always with me is Arif Dean. Arif, say what's up to our people today. What's going on, everyone? I am back in Colorado, back to watching the Avalanche at the Pepsi Center, and it couldn't feel more like what life used to be like many months ago. Exactly. We're getting into phase three. Things are really picking up and we got to watch our boys play some hockey this week a little bit. So that had to be extremely refreshing for you to see. I, for one, didn't want to go through kind of the 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 hoops and everything you had to jump over the hoops and hurdles of signing up for this covid just because typically training camp doesn't really appeal to me all that much i mean it's great to see the guys get going but overall you get a slower pace of hockey guys kind of getting back in the swing of things and that's kind of why i wanted to open this podcast with a quick discussion about just simple tempo i want to know you were there all week long so it's going to be me and our listeners who weren't there because this year was a little bit different just the coverage isn't what you normally see from a training camp and you're going to be our eyes our fly on the wall and I just want to start with just asking about how the tempo was throughout the week from start to finish. Would you say it's more like a training camp type tempo or does it feel like we're gearing up for playoffs here? So it's a little bit of both and it's definitely different in the sense that this is not a normal training camp. We know that. We know that the Avalanche and 23 other teams right now are not preparing for game one of the season before that, you know, a six to seven game or six to eight game preseason. Rather, they're preparing for the Avalanche's sake. You have three guaranteed round robin games and then playoff games. Realistically, the Avalanche could get swept in this first round and play nothing but seven games. And that'll be all the teams that are participating in the round robin. The other teams in the in the playing round realistically you could be doing all of this preparation to play three games lose all three and you're done you're going back home now here's the part that's interesting to me and i think we sort of have forgotten about this over the last few months from discussing the fact that these players are coming back to what's you know a training camp before the playoffs after four months off which is a lot like what they do every year except obviously now they're coming back for a playoff run in a hub city, etc. So this is the part that I saw was really interesting in talking to these players. And I know I'm sort of tiptoeing around your question, but I'll get there. Uh, talking to players and asking mm-hmm. them how it feels to come back for this in August. I think the most fascinating response that I got from about this, and I can't tell you who said it because I completely forget. But the most fascinating response was that 
this isn't an off season. This does not, while it feels like an off season to us because as fans, media, and listeners, all we have done is not watch hockey and not cover hockey for four months like we do every summer between seasons. But from a player's standpoint, they didn't go through the off season rituals of signing new contracts, uh, getting traded, you know, having to deal with all of these things that they do. Their season literally was what Gary Bettman has called it all along was just on pause. So for a player standpoint, this wasn't an offseason. It wasn't a four-month offseason leading into a new year. It was simply nothing but a break. So when you look at it from that point of view, you can start to tell that when they're coming into this training camp, their mindset is different. To us, it might seem like a regular training camp. To the players, it is a far different feel. So the tempo is not the tempo of those trying to fight for a position on an opening night roster, possibly make an impact, things like that. For them, it's how can we utilize this time as best we can to prepare for a three-game round robin leading into a seven-game series right off the bat playing every other night. And oh, by the way, you get one preseason game. So in regards to the tempo... It was through the roof. It felt like hockey in March and, and April leading into the playoffs in the sense where the players are giving their all. The tempo is high, but it's not as intense as you would see in September. And the reason being, obviously, because going into the playoffs, you want to make sure that the recovery is there. Your body is is up to par 100%. You're not wasting energy and you know banging your body around in a training camp, rather, you're saving that energy for the round robin and the playoffs. So to take your question and turn it into a long answer, to a shorter answer, the tempo is there, but this is by no means a regular training camp. The Avalanche are, are skating, they're skating hard, um, and they're coming ready to play playoff hockey, not game one of the regular season. And that's got to be a tough line that the players really have to tiptoe when you kind of talked about the uh, the injuries and everything like that that, m- that might be coming up. And, you know, you don't want to get in – after all this time that they've taken off, you don't want to jump right into super intense style hockey to where, you know, you can re-aggravate an old injury kind of like we've seen Steven Stamkos do, kind of yep. like we've seen a couple other players around the league. Um and so that that's that's a very you know dangerous kind of thing that they have to keep in mind. But also, it's just nice to hear that that they're getting into that intensity. I mean, we, yeah. I saw a quick video of McKinnon's line doing some cycling, um, which looked like a little five-on-five drill, um, and it was fast. It was it was intense, and you know it was McKinnon doing a lot of spin moves. Looks like he he studied some Sam Gerrard tape, yeah. but it was the it was the tempo you want to see. Um, so I was just curious, you know, was it something? From the, you know, because it was only a four-day s- session, essentially. Yeah. On Monday, would you say was a lot less intense than, say, come fr- Thursday? T- today is Friday. Then they had today off. Yeah. So Monday to Thursday, definitely there was a big change. And the reason, the main reason behind that, or probably the big reason behind that is because Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the Avalanche were split into two sessions. 30 skaters you had on each session three forward lines, two defense pairings, or sorry, three defense pairings and two goaltenders. So you had nine, six, and two. 
Obviously, 15 skaters and two goalies brings you to the full team roster of 34 players. Uh, thankfully, nobody has had to skip any days for being unfit to play, uh, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, so everybody has been there. Everybody has been healthy, minus a little hiccup when Bowers had to skip some of the last day because he was hit with a high stick. So Thursday, when Thursday came around, it was not two sessions. It was one session. It was a scrimmage. And those are the pictures you guys probably saw all over Facebook and Instagram, you know, posted by the Avalanche. They finally put some practice numbers or they finally put some jersey numbers on the back of the practice jerseys, made it a lot easier for us to see who it was and the players to sort of be able to mimic that in-game feel. Uh, And just the great feeling of not being able to, not having to squint your eyes to see who's playing on what line is 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 every media member's dream and i can see you're smirking because you've been there before uh so thursday was simply a full-blown scrimmage and it was hard and well not hard but it was fast paced intense hockey obviously while letting up on hitting your teammates because in two weeks from now you're gonna need them to be at their at their full force so it was definitely different between Monday and Thursday, and on Thursday you saw a lot of what would be – it kind of felt like a burgundy and white game. Remember when the Avalanche used to do that? It felt like that. It was not necessarily hard-hitting, but it was good, fun hockey, and obviously, like you said, today they have off. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they're going right back into that. Some days, two sessions, split squad. Some days, full session, obviously, for scrimmaging and power plays and things like that, so – I. The intensity is picking up and it's doing, you know, it's it's getting higher and higher and and they're ultimately leaving to Edmonton in, in eight or nine days. Next weekend, they're out of here. So they don't have that much time, but they're really doing a good job of making good use of what they have. Yeah, it's never fun when all the players are basically dressed the exact same to try to figure out who's who by reading <laughs> the numbers on the helmets from, from distance. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. And at the same time, they also had been skating for a little while before this. It's not yeah. like your normal training camp yep. where they're coming straight into it. Yeah, phase two um, was phase two was a lot longer than than the usual captain skate, so that definitely helped. Yeah, and, and uh, it was good to see them scrimmage so quickly too. That was something I had said I think two months ago is that when this does come back around, we are going to see a lot of scrimmaging because you want to simulate that game feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've they've gone over systems, they've gone over drills for almost a full year now. They don't need to keep hammering those same things home. What they need to do is get into game shape, uh, both mentally and physically. So I love to see the scrimmages. I want more of them, and um, that's just before the uh, they head to that quick little scrimmage against Minnesota, you can call it. I think they're going to kind of be experimental there, right? What do you kind of expect to see? We It was officially announced. So let's start with what do you expect to see in that game against Minnesota from Coach Jared Bednar and kind of the way he uses, because he only gets this one exhibition game, technically. Yeah. He's got to make a lot of decisions between now and then. So funny enough, you didn't actually set me up for this question purposely, but at the same time, you did, because I asked Jared exactly that yesterday at the conclusion of the scrimmage. I told him, even though we're more than a week out, have you made a decision of what you're going to utilize that one exhibition game for? Is it going to be to, to, to mimic the lineup that you are expecting to play with in, in the first game against the Blues? Or is it going to be more to give guys like Bowers and Lindholm and Connaughton and these guys a chance to sort of prove their worth so you know who your first call-ups would be in the, in, in the you know, if an injury was to arise or when an injury were to arise? And he simply said he hasn't made a decision yet. And, you know, that's understandable. Um, what I like about what Bednar is doing 
uh, is he's not here to play around with the lineup and see who's who's got what it takes and and give these guys a chance and let's see what the younger guys or this and that have. He's had four months to prepare for this. He's had an idea of what his lines want to be. Shout out to me, by the way, for predicting mm-hmm. Nuchushkin would get the second line spot ahead of Donsko and Nemesnikov. I've been mm-hmm. beating, I've been beating that horn since before the pause. Uh, but he's come into this training camp having put together who he thinks his lines are, who he's prepared the last four months to play together, and he's not backed down from that. So Tyson Jost, as an example, started as the 13th forward, or what what I would like to think is the 13th forward, from day one. He was on a line with TJ Tynan and Vladislav Kamenev. He wasn't on the top four lines. Obviously, the Belmar line was intact, the McKinnon line was intact, Kadri, Nichushkin, Comfer, etc., etc., etc. Jost was outside of that, of those four lines. And when we asked Jared if that was what he was going to... Uh, he was going to go for once the playoffs were to begin or the competitive hockey were to begin. He said he has, you know, two weeks to make a decision to mess with the lines, but he hasn't. The only line jumbling he's done is flip-flopping Landeskog and Burakovsky and giving Burakovsky a chance on the top line and Landeskog a chance to go play Bash Brothers with Kadri all playoffs long. So it just seems like Bednar has come into this with a purpose of we're not here to mess around. We're not screwing around. We are here to prepare ourselves and and to make and and to win this thing and it's actually really interesting cuz that seems to be the talk of the NHL whether you're listening to the guys on sportsnet on TSN a couple other podcasts every national media member seems to be saying and the insiders seem to be saying that there's two teams that are coming into this with the purpose of we are here to win there's a lot of teams that are a little worried about the virus montreal being one of them um but the two teams that everybody keeps talking about are the Colorado Avalanche and the Pittsburgh Penguins as the two teams that have come into this with the, with a different mindset, a different purpose, the the all business, no fun, no games, we are here to work and to win mindset. And we are seeing exactly that. I don't know what other training camps are like, but I do know that media members that are looking at multiple training camps are noticing something different with the avalanche and it's because of the way bednar is handling this and the way he's running these practices yeah yeah i mean you you get a good look at that at nathan mckinnon kind of every single year he comes into training camp almost more prepared than everybody else he had been spending the off season training and and working on his size you know he usually comes a lot more muscular to training camp so typically you expect this all business mentality from him but it seems like he's kind of taken that role to now where it's contagious around the team he's kind of making the rest of the team have that same competitive attitude you know take care of their bodies in the off season take care of their bodies when they're not playing and you know just just focusing all around all business all the time and it seems like that's just the mindset of this team right now you know what this team reminds me of and this is going to be uh maybe a long shot to some of our listeners i'm curious how many can relate but the 2019 toronto raptors that team had always been a good team. They had always had the skill to make it far into the chip, into the NBA playoffs, but never really did it until they brought in Kawhi Leonard. Everybody knows Kawhi's demeanor, straight-faced, no emotion. He comes to work and that's all he does. And McKinnon reminds me of that in the sense where he's not here for the media. He's not here for all the fun and games and the fun social media posts and all this other stuff. He's here to play with a straight face to win and 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 to sell, you know, to celebrate when 
the championship is won, not before. So last year in the playoffs, when the when the Raptors were taking on the Golden State Warriors in the finals, they took a three to one series lead heading into Game Six in Toronto with a chance to win it all, uh, or sorry, Game Five in Toronto with a chance to win it all. Watching the players sk- uh, skate back, walk back to their bus after the game. The first person that was walking up was Kawhi Leonard. Typical Kawhi, straight face, walking to the bet, walking to the bus, no emotion, business as usual on his face. And then every friggin' player after him had the exact same demeanor. Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, all these guys that like to show a lot of emotion and are what I like to call giggly shits. They like to <laughs> they like to laugh and smile and enjoy the moment. Every single one of them was straight faced. The championship was not won. It was a three to one series lead, but it was the Warriors and it was not time to celebrate. And that's what the avalanche, that's what I see with this team now. That's what I see McKinnon is doing with this team. And obviously Landeskog's the captain. He's the leader, but he's he's Landeskog is always someone who can be business as usual too. And they are taking this team and they are pushing them into that direction. Jared Bednar is up there too. These guys are just here to play and to win. And I hate to pump the tires of the team that I cover, but the holy crap, I can't express how much I feel like they have an exceptional chance to win this all. Well, and you're just watching the process unfold right before our eyes, right? You look back yeah. to two years ago, they made the yep. playoffs, squeaked in, and kind of got their asses handed to them by the Nashville Predators. You go on to yeah. the next year, they get in pretty easily to to the playoffs. Uh, I mean, they were still kind of, I guess, not so easily, but they got in and, uh, you know, made some noise in the first round. And as disappointed as it was to see the way it kind of ended um, in the second round last year, that's just all part of the process. And this year it's time to take that next step forward, whether it's going yeah. all the way or just simply going further than you have before, it's just simply unfolding right before us. So, um, you know, it, it's really just, I guess, it, intriguing to watch, but just encouraging for what lies ahead as well. We all, we've all heard it a million times. This team's not going to be good just right now, but for, you know, the next four, five, six years. Um, but it, it's just, it's just right. We're in the middle of it, you know, just kind of how we were talking all quarantine long how it's it's tough to assess all this stuff when we're living in the middle of it um it's just kind of the same thing that's going on with this avs productivity and just advancements into really becoming one of the team's elite contenders so that being said um you know i mentioned how nathan mckinnon is usually the guy that comes out of the gate just looking like he spent all off season preparing and just getting ready to go who do you think has actually looked most game ready most um fit like they were taking care of themselves throughout the entire quarantine and just thinking about this moment nathan mckinnon simply yeah <laughs> it's, that, I, it's that easy i'm not surprised by that at all not he, even a little bit. he he looks he looks unbelievable out there all the injured guys look great uh tyson joe's looks awesome even though he's not gotten a chance to crack the top 12 yet and that's not because anybody is throwing him in a doghouse is simply because this team is just overloaded with depth. But to answer your question, it's number 29. It's Nathan McKinnon. He's come out with a purpose. Like you said, he was just cycling and going up. And the first time I saw him take a rush up the ice, I'm like, they they played the Rangers yesterday. There's There hasn't been any time off. This is the same season that Nathan McKinnon is continuing. Granted, he missed that game, but he he looks the exact same and he looks ready 
for playoff hockey. This 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 pause has not phased him, has not changed his mindset. He's in that groove. It's as if he's transitioning from April 4th regular season to April's 8th or 9th playoff without that four-month break. While that might be the low-hanging fruit answer, I think that's the answer every Avs fan wants to hear. Because if you are getting ready to gear up for this playoffs, he's the number one guy you need to have looking their sharpest and just ready to to go. Um, You touched on it a little bit, and that's kind of been the, the majority of the news we've seen out of this Phase 3 training camp is the line combinations. Um, yeah. Of course, I've touched millions of times on how I really like Andre Burakovsky playing with Nathan McKinnon. So I think that's a story in itself right there. But I think the most intriguing thing really is the second line. You, Again, you, you kind of alluded to it a, a little bit ago, but just that combination of Landeskog, Kadri, and Nachuskin, kind of a line people felt maybe on its way, but now it's coming to fruition and, and we're seeing great things. What do you like about this line? What makes this line kind of something that'll probably stick come this tournament time? That line is going to go out and beat the shit out of the opposition. It's They're going to go out there and just lay a wasting on other teams. We all know Nazem Kadri and the game he plays, especially in the playoffs, uh, getting suspended the last two years. Obviously, you don't want to see that. But the electricity and the and the energy and the fire he brings to playoff hockey. Uh, Gabe Landeskog, we've, we've seen that from him since 2014, the first time the Avalanche made the playoffs with him a part of the team and as the captain. Um, and Nichushkin, who's had a chip on his shoulder all year, he's a big body. Sometimes he doesn't play like he has that size of frame, but, you know, you know, little side note, even before they put the jersey numbers on the players, uh, as soon as Nachushkin takes the ice, you know who he is because he's got such a distinct, massive frame. And I'm telling you, if you are six foot four, 230, whatever the hell pounds Nachushkin is, and you're playing on a line with two guys that are going to go out and just bang everybody into the boards, it's going to give you a little bit of motivation to do the same thing. And that's what that line is going to do. And to tiptoe and to piggyback off of the second line, putting Burakovsky, Burakovsky up on the top line with Rantanen and uh, McKinnon. I'm going to make a comparison here. It might be a little bit off, but Burakovsky to me is the Milan Heyduk of this team. He will give you 30, 35, 40 goals, whatever it may be. He won't play a physical brand of hockey, but no matter what center you put him with, he will score. And that's what Burakovsky is to me. Having Landeskog on that line is not really necessary because Burakovsky is such an offensive weapon and McKinnon is already such a physical and intense player and Rantanen's built like Yager. He's got a big ass and can take care of himself. Putting Burakovsky up on that top line gives you that extra that extra offensive power on that top line that can score basically at will. And having Kadri with a running mate like Landeskog gives you that power and that fire on the second line. And just everything about those two combinations make all the sense in the world. And that's not even going into the third and fourth line, which literally are built exceptionally well as well. Yeah. And Landeskog's never been known for being an amazingly great goal scorer. Whereas I think Burakovsky has more of that goal scorer's touch. So we saw how great Mikko Rantanen plays next to Nathan McKinnon. And, you know, a big reason for that is because Nathan McKinnon draws a lot of attention from the defenders, you know, from the from the from the defensive unit, leaving Mikko open. And when you got a guy like that, you got to have him be able to finish and. 
even better to have two guys like that, right? When Nathan McKinnon is is drawing a lot of the eyes from the defender and maybe Miko is, is covered, you're still going to have another option that can bury the puck. And Nathan McKinnon can definitely find guys like that. So just having, I think, that additional skill on him is just a much better fit. And then getting into the second line, I think that's really what pushes this team over the edge and makes them a true, true contender. For years I've been saying that it's the grit that's lacking from this team. And then come playoff time, we know how that turns up to, to you know, to 11. And that's what makes teams like Boston so great. Not only are they filled with skill, but they're filled with that physical style of play, that hard nose, not backing down. And that's exactly what this Kadri landis Gognachuskin line represents to me. That style of playoff intense hockey. And, you know, I think, I think this is really, like I said, what's going to take them from just regular contenders to true let's make sure anything besides the cup finals is a disappointment so i guess do you do you agree with me do you think this this line is ready to kind of carry that flag for this team and be the the gritty intensity pace temp the tempo setters Absolutely. I mean, every year you have one or two games in a series or in a Stanley Cup run. Every finals, every cup winning team leading up to the finals has a second, a third or a fourth line that has a defining moment. And this Kadri and Landeskog line is the line that is probably going to have that defining moment because of the way that they play in their brand of hockey. And that's not to say that the Kampfer and Amesnikov and, and Donskoy line is not going to do it too. That line, I think I mentioned this before, it reminds me of the Samuel Paulson, Travis Moen, and Rob Niedermeyer line. For, for all my hockey fans that remember the Anaheim Ducks 13 years ago, that was their third line and that line really set the tone. That was their difference maker. So the Comfort line can do that. Obviously, there isn't much to say about the Nieto-Calvert-Belmar line that hasn't been set already. We know what they can do. And if we play Vegas, we know Belmar is going to be good for five goals in the series because he always scores against them. But uh, that kadri landis Cognachushkin line, it's set up in such a poetic way because Kadri doing anything past making it out of the first round is already going to be something that he has a chip on his shoulder to do because of what's happened to him in Toronto, not just the last two years, but going back to 2013 against the Bruins, f- dropping that four to one series, uh, four to one game seven lead in the final 10 minutes of, the, of game seven and losing in overtime. So he has a chip on his shoulder to make it out of the first round. And he has that fire and intensity. Gabe Landeskog, ho-hum, just another day for him. He's ready to win and he's wanted to win for many years. And we saw the kind of player he is and the chip on his shoulder he's had since 2017 when there was trade rumors surrounding his name he openly said i don't want to go while players like matt duchene were uh unwilling to speak to media and, and respond to those questions landis said i want to be part of the solution and then you have nichushkin who let's face it man nichushkin i uh, got a second chance in dallas and he wasn't respected the way that he felt he should have he kind of becomes a head case when he sits on the bench and he was sitting on the bench a lot in dallas because he was playing eight to nine minutes a game uh jim montgomery the former coach in dallas was not giving him the ice time he needed so while his revelation of a season could come as a surprise to many of us it's not to him and he has that chip on his shoulder. He wants to win. And you better believe that if the Avalanche and the Dallas Stars meet in the playoffs, 
Nichushkin's going to come out all guns blazing. So everything about this line is just poetic. It's built for three players. And that's not to mention the Landeskog offside thing last year with San Jose. He wants to erase that from his memory bank as well. So this line is not just built perfectly, but they're just... They're put together in such a poetic way where you know if somebody's going to make a difference, it's one of these three guys. Going back to what you said earlier when you said Jared Bednar had four months to plan what he was going to do and his plan of attack heading into this. It's funny yeah. to me that day one of phase three and of these training camps, he still had the Landis Gog, McKinnon, Ranton in line together. And yeah. it only took him one day to be like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that second line that I've been dreaming of for the last four months, and now it looks like it's something that sticks. Not only that, but also seems like it, that's starting to be a real fan favorite line too. I mean, obviously we know the points that the top line can produce, but it seems like people are really embracing this second line as something that can really be great. Yeah, man. I mean, Kadri missed a whole bunch of games this year, so. Even though the Avalanche went out and acquired that second line center, they never really got to enjoy him for much. And and you know, Kadri's played a lot of hockey the last couple of years, and and uh, he likes to take his maintenance days of practice and make sure he's ready to go. And what better than a four month break because of a pandemic that came out of nowhere to make sure you're ready to go? And that's not to mention that before the pandemic and the pause, he missed the last five or ten games with an injury. So it's been quite a while since he's played a game, and and this line. Is I mean I mean, Bednar knows what his team can bring. He knows that if he puts Landeskog on that top line, they're gonna go out there and basically do what they've done the last three years. But he also knows that since he has these extra weapons this year, since he has the Burakovskis and the Kadris, he can finally change things up. His second line is no longer Nieto, Soderberg, and one of Como or Calvert. He has these options to be able to really stack the lineup. And like you said, man, he's probably been dreaming about this for the last four months, if not longer, because of all the injuries that have sort of stopped him from being able to really test the waters with this team. Um, but he's got an opportunity to to switch things up whenever necessary. So if that Burakovsky, uh, if Burakovsky on the top line isn't working out at any point, Putting Landeskog back up there is a great option. If you need to bring Burakovsky down to the second line and Landeskog up to the first, great. If you need to switch Donskoy and Nichushkin, great. Not to mention, by the way, the Avalanche acquired a guy at the deadline named Nemestikov that, surprise, scored four goals in nine games before the pause. So they just have all these options where it's okay for Bednar to be able to test out something like this, something that he's probably been thinking about for many months, because if it doesn't go well, the alternative is just as good and probably if not better. And that's what kind of intrigues me about this COVID cup is that all teams are coming back relatively at a hundred percent aside from this guy here, this guy there. And what that allows is, you know, for once, these teams that have been building and acquiring and trading for years and years and years finally can see their whole work in one place. You know, their their whole every, everything they've accumulated for the last several years. Instead of having this guy out and then this guy out, you got to balance. Oh, now we got to change this up. They have everything that they've been working towards since basically Jared Bednar got here is going to be able to be used and and he'll be able to just use all of his tools not something you ever get to see in the nhl i would say so another just a little intriguing piece to the COVID cup that's coming on but it definitely seems like the avalanche are built 
for you know the the extra intensity the added grit that they need and they are ready for this and it's going to be really exciting to watch and um you know we forgot to mention this at the top of the show but you even got to uh d- discuss with a lot of the players and we put together a nice little conglomeration of uh four different players on the Avalanche that have been to the Stanley Cup finals and just kind of giving their thoughts on this team and what it what they think it has to to, to uh you know if they have what it takes to go all the way to the final but um, before we go on, I got to tell you about DraftKings, of course. Can you feel it? The excitement and anticipation has been growing for weeks, and the time is almost here. That's right. Baseball is coming back next week. The Rockies will be taking the field in less than 10 days, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To put you in the center of the action, DraftKings Sportsbook is celebrating the new season with a special promotion. Before the season starts, place a bet of at least $25 on who will be crowned the champion, and they'll give you a $25 free bet to use on opening day. While we are all excited for baseball, don't forget that there's also still European soccer happening all week long and a huge golf tournament that's going on right now that you can still get in on. DraftKings Sportsbook is based in the U.S., so it makes it safe, secure, and reliable. Plus, it's easy to deposit and super easy to withdraw money. Trust me, I know. <laughs> You're f- whenever you want. So make sure to give DraftKings a check. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and, and use code MHS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's code MHS to get your sign-up bonus of $1,000 only on DraftKings Sportsbook. And you must be 21 or older, Colorado only, bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And I think what excites me the most about this is the excitement is there because baseball is coming back in a year, but we are just about a week or two away from talking about the excitement of hockey's coming back. Because aside from that preseason game, the Avalanche and the Blues are playing in 16 days. And you know a lot of people here, a lot of degenerates are going to be ready to put some money on that game heading into the, the the first round of the playoffs. Absolutely. And as we get closer, you know, we'll be there to be the degenerates that we are with you. And we'll Excited. be, you know, throwing in a little segment of making some picks, picks of the weeks, just trying to make our listeners a little bit of money as a, a thank you for downloading DraftKings and for listening to the two most handsome guys in the in the Colorado Avalanche press box. <laughs> Moving on and continuing with phase three of the Avalanche training camp. Um, I I think I've got a good idea of the answer to this, but I want to make sure that all the listeners, you know, I wanted this to be a one-stop shop for all of their phase three news and just get the inside look from you. So I wanted to get on the power play a little bit. I'm not sure if they've touched on it. It doesn't seem like they've spent too much time working on the power play, but um, you know, can you confirm that if they have worked on it, what's it looking like now? Yeah, they haven't they haven't done many power play drills, if at all. I don't recall at any point them actually putting together power play and penalty kill drills. Uh, and I suspect they'll start doing that tomorrow. They got Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, so they got the next four days scheduled out. 
I imagine they'll probably take Wednesday off like they took today off before practicing Thursday, Friday, and heading out to Edmonton over the, over the weekend next week. So they haven't done much with the power play yet, but that's an entirely different topic because now you have Makar and Gerard both healthy. You have all of these weapons. Now you have suddenly Nemestikov, who's a weapon. Maybe that pushes Comfer off of one of the two lines. Uh who joins the top line? Is it going to be Burakovsky, the, the 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 big three, and and Makar? Probably so. And then who's on the second line? So there are so many options. Do you have Kadri there with Donskoy and Nemestikov? Do you bring down one of Landeskog or Burakovsky? Um, who knows? But we'll definitely get more into that over these next couple days. Uh, look out for my tweets at Run Right Air if I've been uh, doing a good job of trying to put together the line combinations every day and. Uh, I suspect once those power play drills start, I'll I'll get I'll uh, be able to get those combinations out too to see what Bednar has planned. Uh, the cool thing is, similar to the the regular lines, I think he has an idea of what he wants for his power play units, and the first thing he puts on the ice is probably what's going to end up happening, just because he's had again four months to think about this. The real winner, I think, is going to be that second power play unit. I mean, we know what to expect from the first. But so do other teams, right? They're really going to be preparing, be preparing for that top unit, which is probably still going to be able to produce no matter how much you try to stop what they're trying to do. But yeah. other teams' second penalty kill unit, I don't think is going to be able to match up against the strength of what the Avalanche can offer on their second power play unit. So that's going to be really tough for other teams to match up, I think. They're going to have a lot of weapons on that second power play unit, and it's going to be so crucial more than ever that that the power play is buzzing so um, to have a second power play unit like they are capable of putting together I think is going to be such a big factor for the avalanche heading into this COVID cup yeah I mean right off the bat it'll probably be Kadri, Donskoy, Nemesnikov and Nichushkin four new guys with Gerard at the point and that's assuming you have Burakovsky on the top line uh, with the big three so now you have these eight forwards that you can jumble around and that doesn't even include the fact that Comfort has now been pushed off the power play. If Tyson Jost gets in the lineup, will he get a sniff at the power play? When all those guys were injured, Matt Kelvert was on the power play and he was scoring a ton of goals and he was doing his job in front of the crease. So they have options. They haven't had these options in the past. God bless Carl Soderberg and all he did for his many years here. Uh, but the Avalanche just did not have those secondary options and that's the biggest difference with this team. You mentioned it a few minutes ago that... Uh, I spoke to a few players that had previously played in the Stanley Cup final. So specifically Donskoy, Burakovsky, and Cole. Donskoy obviously lost to Ian Cole in the Penguins in 2016. Cole won those two straight cups with the Penguins. Vladislav Nemestikov played on the finals many years ago in 2015 with Tampa Bay. Uh, and Burakovsky in 2018 is also a Stanley Cup champion, beating out Pierre-Edward Belmar and the Vegas Golden Knights. So the Avalanche have all these guys now that have been in the Stanley Cup final. I asked every single one of them what it was like uh, to play on those teams and what are the similarities that you can draw from this year's Avalanche compared to their teams that either A, fell short like the Sharks in 2016, or B, won it all. And for Ian Cole's case, won it two years in a row. And every single one of them said the same thing. The Avalanche have that depth. Ian Cole mentioned that the you know the best teams are able to roll out four to five lines and two to three pairings, and two great goalies. And he says, we have that this year. Donskoy has played on teams that have been, for many, considered the best 
teams to not win the Stanley Cup. And those are those San Jose Sharks when they had the Marlows and Thorntons and Couture's and Pavelski's and Dan Boyle and Martin Jones in net before that Auntie Niemi, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he said this Avalanche team is better than that team. He said this is the best team he's ever played for. Nemestikov mentioned the depth. Burakovsky mentioned the depth. And the funny thing is about all these guys mentioning the depth, they were brought here to be that depth. So the Avalanche have suddenly all these guys with playoff experience, a lot of Stanley Cup championship pedigree, and 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 uh, these guys are are able to notice that you know this team has what it takes. We've heard McKinnon say it all year. In my seven years with with call, with the Avalanche, I've never believed that we can truly win like I do this year. Um, so I wrote about that. I published it today. Like I said, Donskoy. Straight up said, this is the best team he's ever played for. Uh, you can hear those words at the end of this podcast. We'll we'll play for you the recording of all four of their responses to my question. And uh, it's actually really interesting to see that these guys are not like this isn't one of those things where you play on a team and you just go out of your way to oh, yeah we're the best they truly believe that they have a shot at this and and we felt that all year because of mckinnon saying this is the first time i felt we could win and these guys are echoing those sentiments man yeah like i said earlier just part of that process unfolding right it's just the natural step forward that they're, that they're taking now and and it's and it's great to watch um which brings me to my next point as step forwards and that's the defensive group. I mean, we've talked a lot about how this defensive group has really evolved over the last year, mm-hmm. year and a half. But now they've added some black aces. And now this defensive unit has, has added a lot more depth. It's not just ending at Nikita Zadorov and Ian Cole on that third pairing and, and Mark Barbario in the press box watching. There's a lot more that can be added if needed or if guys yeah. start to fall down. And I wanted to get a little bit of that. What are you seeing from this defensive group, particularly the Black Aces in Bowers, McDonald, etc.? So I forgot to mention his name when you asked me who stuck out. And from the Black Aces, my guy is Connor Timmins. Uh, Connor Timmins to me is the reason why I feel like the Avalanche aren't going to add anybody if or when they decide to unload Nikita Zadorov because they don't seem to want to meet his contract demands at some point. Uh, Connor Timmins has been great. He's been paired with Joey McDonald, or sorry, Jacob McDonald. Uh, Joey's the former goalie that's played for the Red Wings. Uh, Jacob McDonald, the defenseman who scored a crap load of points for the Colorado Eagles this year and has already re-signed. Uh, they've been a great pairing. Uh, Anton Lindholm has been lucky enough to be paired with Bowen Byram. Bowen Byram looks awesome. And then you have your, what I call the seventh and eighth defense for this year's playoff run, Mark Barbario, Kevin Connaughton, two serviceable guys that can step into the lineup when needed. If they're both in the lineup at the same time, you might have some issues. That means you have way too many injuries going on, but they're two serviceable veterans that have been there before that have, that have been around the league and uh, are respected in the locker room. Definitely. So they have that depth. I mean, Eric Johnson and Ian Cole is your third pair. When have the Avalanche been able in past years to throw Eric Johnson on the third pair? And that's because Ryan Graves, Graves has evolved. And holy crap, that's another guy that's looked great these last four days. Ryan Graves, is he's an absolute man-child out there. He's just built like a train. And obviously him and Makar play together. And then you have Sam Gerrard, uh, you know, paired with Zadorov often and then paired with Eric Johnson at times. So, um it's, it's really great to see the Avalanche have this depth. The defense has looked great. Uh, I'm, I'm mixing up my names. Johnson plays on the second pair with Gerard, and then Cole's on the third pair with Zadorov, which still, that's a hell of a third pair to have. But 
the defenses looked awesome, man. I mean, I wish this was, you know, NHL 20 where you can turn off injuries and just keep fully healthy lineups all the way through. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But when this team is healthy, man, there isn't many teams in the NHL that can stack up and uh, against this roster. Even if they're not healthy, even if a couple pieces, barring they're not big yeah. pieces like a McKinnon or a McCarr, they're still going to have pieces to fill right in there and, and just cover any ground that they that they might lose in losing whoever they do again as assuming it's not a big name guy who, who really, i don't know man and, you know is an x factor in, in the production standpoint in 2001 peter forsberg went down to the second round the avalanche won the cup and that's because they had obviously his pre-salary cap era it's a different league it's a different time but that's because they had all that depth and the ability to plug and play dan heinet was on your top line and helping Tange and Sakic have a great game seven. So you never know who's going to step up. It could be a Matt Calvert. It could be Tyson Jost, you know, for all the flack he takes. Uh, the Avalanche have options. Nemesnikov was a hell of a pickup, and that's a secret weapon too. So Connor Timmins, I could see him coming into the playoffs at some point. So they have all these options, and you're absolutely right. You know, that even when injuries do occur, for once, the Avalanche have depth. It's not Gabriel Bork coming out there. It's it's guys that on many other teams would be playing in their top nine. Yep, that's just a, a sign of a great team with a lot of potential. Um, moving on, last for the Avalanche Phase 3 training camp, but certainly not least, we got to touch on the goaltending. has definitely been a hot topic in the last week now that national media is starting to kind of focus a little bit more and do their team previews and everything like that, you hear a lot of the national media talk about how there might be a goalie controversy, that this is not Philip Grubauer's net just yet. We've given our opinions on this. I think it was two weeks ago. Uh, we both agreed that Philip Grubauer has to be the man on a short leash. Um, but it sounds like Jared Bednar has a plan of his own and, and has a plan in place on how he's kind of going to assess the goalies and ultimately pick who he's going to ride with come COVID Cup time. Yeah, and it's it's simply put that he's going to utilize the scrimmage, uh, the in, the squad scrimmages, the preseason or exhibition game against the Minnesota Wild, and even the round robin to get an idea of who he's going to roll with in the playoffs. I still think it's going to end up being Grubauer. Um, the national media, I remember when we talked about this back in January, you know, 10 years ago before the pandemic happened, how Pavel Francouz was gaining all of this 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 praise from around the league. People in Toronto were talking about signing a goalie out of Russia and saying, God, I hope he's like that Francouz guy in Colorado. And that's because he's come out and he's proven to be an NHL starter. I mean, Francouz can start on one of many of these other 23 teams that are going to be in this playoff thing. So in the COVID cup, as you like to call it. So <laughs> the Avalanche have options. They definitely can use Francouz if needed. Um, and I think Francouz will probably get one, maybe two of the four games between the round robin and the exhibition game against Minnesota. Um, and it's great that Bednar has that option because if he needs to pull the plug on Grubauer for whatever reason, the guy that's coming in is just as capable. But at the same time, I can't help but think back to 2019 when Grubauer willed the avalanche into the playoffs going 13-0-2 or whatever crazy run he went on in, in March and early April, going into the playoffs, absolutely shutting down the Calgary Flames, who had a goalie of their own that was playing great at the other end in Mike Smith, and then getting to the second round and going head-to-head -head with this team that was built to win the Cup all the way up to Game 7. So I just... 
the Avalanche have options, and it's great that they do. And if Grubauer, you know, shits the bed in the preseason exhibition game and in any of the round robin games, and it has to be Francouz, so be it. But I still stand by Grubauer being the guy, and I'm just excited to see what Bednar has planned. Yeah, there's no better time to have that problem, if you call it a problem, of having too many goalies right now yep. because you just don't know what to expect from these guys. These goalies haven't seen NHL caliber shots in a long time. Now they're getting back into it, but you're expecting these guys to just jump and go right into being 100% and and being the, the guys that you need like they like they were in the stretch, like you mentioned, Philip Grubauer was when he willed the Avalanche to the playoffs. But during that time, he was playing every other night. He would he had faced several shots for the couple months prior. So who he's, knows? And he's that's been injured. The same for any goalie across the. He's NHL. been injured. He's been injured since the outdoor game. Let's not forget that Grubauer mm-hmm. has not played since February fifteenth when Ian Cole backed into him and ruined his knee or whatever the heck it was. I don't remember. The pandemic sort of drained my memory, but. He hasn't played in a long time, and that's understandably so. But I think this is sort of the new age NHL where you do need those two goalies. If you think back to the to the Penguins when they won their second cup, Marc Andre Fleury, um, he ran with it. He ran with it for the first, uh, I want to say, two series. And after defeating the Washington Capitals in the third round, I think it was Game Two. Matt Murray took over. And they won the Western Com- or the Eastern Conference Final. They won the Stanley Cup. So they ended up winning. I think Murray won nine games and Flurry won seven. So even though Flurry rolled through the first round, rolled through the second round while Matt Murray was coming back from an injury, having won the cup the year before, uh, when that leash was shortened and when it was time to pull Flurry, Matt Murray stepped right in and just, you know, took control and ended up winning his second Stanley Cup against Vegas. So or not against Vegas, against uh, Nashville. So the Avalanche have the ability to do that. A lot of other teams too. Boston has Tuka Rask and uh, Yaroslav Halak. Nashville, if they make it out of the play-in, have UC Saros and Pekarine. So the Avalanche are one of those teams that have those multiple options. And Bednar, obviously, is not going to be afraid to use it. And who's to say Fransuz is that much more equipped and ready to go than Philip Grubauer is? I mean, we don't even know if he was skating for a while. It took him a little while to get back to Denver. So... Who, who's to say that he's ready to go any more than Philip Grubauer is? That's why it's so important to put these guys in game scenarios and not just yep. have these five-on-0 rushes coming down on them and five-on-2 rushes. They need to be yeah. in scrimmages. They need to have this exhibition game against Minnesota to put these goalies back because that's the only thing you can really assess a goalie on, in my opinion, is how they play in games. Yeah, for sure. And the great part is about the preseason games is every team sort of needs to – get an idea of what their roster is. So everyone's going to be trying hard enough at a relative you know, pace to what the playoffs are going to be, where those games are going to matter and what you do in those games will matter a little bit more than what the preseason in September shows you. Uh, so if Grubauer plays 30 minutes and surrenders four goals on 17 shots and Francis comes in and goes a perfect 20 for 20, that's going to mean a lot more now than it does in a preseason game in September. Uh, you know, Game one of the regular season, Bednar might still lead towards Grubauer if that were to happen but now game one of the round robin going into St. Louis if he saw that in the preseason game he might pull the plug on Grubauer and go with Francis you never know and that's the benefit of having a guy like Parkla around because he that's his number one job just watching and I think he he does a great job it's important to me I think that he's a young guy absolutely um so you know he's uh, no disrespect to 
to Alaire when he was here, but I think having an older guy just he doesn't pay attention to the details. He doesn't have that vision that I would say Parkala has to really assess and make sure who's on. Yeah, and he was he wasn't always he was there. there. Correct. There. Correct me if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. Francois, yeah, Francois Francois mm-hmm. was uh, not always there, and you see Parkula is always there, and he. I remember he was brought in because he was Varlamov's guy, and now Varley's in you know New York on Long Island, having you know working under probably the best goalie coach in the league in Mitch Korn, and uh, Parkula has stuck around, and he's turned Grubauer and Francois into exceptional goalies. Yeah, not to mention going back to Bernier and. Um, you know, yeah, Bernier's redemption and Varley coming back from many injuries. He seems to whatever, what whoever he gets his hands on, he turns them into a goalie that can be serviceable, and that's going to be great because we have Justus Anonen coming from Finland over the next couple of years, and Parkula's also finished, and I think that's going to be his big guy now to to turn Anonen into the next Pecorine. And back to my point, I think a big reason for that is because he's just a modern coach. He uses modern techniques. Yep. He's not you know, stuck in his ways, and he's constantly just, just learning and evolving. Um, winding down the show here a little bit, we've got a couple more topics to touch on before we get to how we usually end the show, and that's the multitude of Avalanche players over the past five days that have been named for NHL awards. That's Nathan McKinnon with the Lindsay Award, which I personally think is the best award in hockey because who cares what pundits and media members think? I like yeah, the respect we, we don't know of your fellow <laughs> players. And so I, Correct. you know, I, if I'm Nathan McKinnon, I'm really stoked about that. Kale McCarr, obviously, no surprises there. Getting the nomination for the Calder Trophy, I think he's a shoe in there. We've touched on that a couple couple weeks ago as well. But the one I really wanted to touch on was Nathan McKinnon's um, nomination for the Lady Bing Award. I think this caught everybody off guard, and that's of course the trophy. Of, for sportsmanship and a couple other factors that go into it. But I just wanted to get your take on Nathan McKinnon being one of the three guys nominated for this award. So make no mistake about it. This award is no longer about sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct. This conduct, this award has become exactly what it is. It's given to a star forward that records a lot of points and a little bit of penalty minutes. So if you remember back in 2014, Ryan O'Reilly had two penalty minutes, and that was for touching the puck with a broken stick. And he also scored 28 goals and had 64 points, so there's your guy. Pavel Datsu constantly putting up 15 to 20 penalty minutes, one at three, four years in a row. So now you have three guys. You have Austin Matthews, eight penalty minutes, 47 goals, a whole bunch of points. You have Ryan O'Reilly, uh, 10 penalty minutes, 50 to 60 points. And you have Nathan McKinnon, 12 penalty minutes, 93 points. So McKinnon is in is in the running for this award because he had 12 penalty minutes, which is less than half of what he had last year, and by far a career low for him, while putting up a lot of points. I think what's going to end up happening with this award is that Nathan McKinnon is going to end up winning it. And that's because I feel like a lot of media that doesn't vote him for the Ted Lindsay and has him in second or third and doesn't vote him for the Hart Trophy has him second or third probably just want him to have to win something. So that doesn't that doesn't mean that he can't win the Hart or the Lindsay, but I feel like everybody that has him second in those votes is putting him first in Lady Bing just because the 2019-20 version of Nathan McKinnon deserves something at the award ceremony or, you know, there's no more ceremony this year, but deserves some sort of award, and this is going to be the one. Uh, it's just funny to me. I mean, when you look at the three guys, 
gentlemanly conduct on the ice sure off the ice it's kind of funny ryan o'reilly's got a little bit of a past we've you know when he was traded to buffalo austin matthews mooned a security guard in the summer uh set to be a little bit of a frat boy and then you got nathan mckinnon who's never in the news always a good kid good you know on uh not ontario uh, nova scotian kind of like Sidney crosby stays out of the news and Sidney Crosby of the three players might have the most intensity on ice, but off the ice, pretty good dude. And, you know, I hate to say say it straight up like that because Ryan O'Reilly is a hell of a character. He's a hell of a guy. And, you know, he made one mistake. It's hard to hold him to that. But speaking of O'Reilly, he actually said it perfectly when I asked him on the conference call if Nathan McKinnon, what he's seen from McKinnon over the years. And he laughed. He straight up said... I was surprised to see him only have 12 penalty minutes. And then with a smirk, he said, because we all know how McKinnon could get mad and crazy and angry on the ice. So it was just a ha ha It was, you know, it was just funny to see him nominated for this award. Kind of like, holy crap, how did he enter this discussion? So it's nice to see McKinnon getting his, uh, getting his tires pumped like that from a former teammate. Uh, the award is kind of funny because no one really knows what it is anymore, but it ultimately is. You score a lot of points and low penalty minutes, you get nominated and that's why these three guys are the finalists that's going to be probably the lamest nhl ceremony show of all time if they're doing their accepted speeches over zoom calls um yeah so so that'll be funny in itself right there but um as far as nathan mckinnon goes you know it's just not on his mind he doesn't care about winning the lady bing he doesn't care about winning the Lindsay. he just has one trophy on his mind and i think that was evident in the fact that he didn't even show up for his zoom call correct for the lady bing he didn't no it was uh it was just o'reilly and matthews it's funny because even for the ted Lindsay with uh panarin and dreisaitl his camera constantly kept going out. So Panarin would be responding to a question in Russian, and then his translator would be obviously translating it to English. And McKinnon's camera would just go out for 30 seconds, and then he'd come back straight face, typical, I hate that I'm here, McKinnon faces. It was hilarious. And then when the Lady Bing came around, uh, the guy started, the guy from the NHL, the representative for their PR, started the call right away by saying, We'll be joined by two of the three, Austin Matthews and Ryan O'Reilly. And I'm like, Go figure. McKinnon's like, Screw this. I, I probably have to do this again for the heart. I already did this for the Lindsay. I don't care about this one. Uh, which was funny. Just another testament to how he's all business right now. Like, don't he's, don't distract me with this lady being trophy. I've got my sweet potatoes to eat right now because that's he's <laughs> that's the schedule I'm on, and my timer's going off to keep keep my uh, health up. But, but um, yeah, absolutely. I, I I can't believe I I can't believe it took until today's podcast for me to think of it on the spot. But he's he's such a Kawhi Leonard. He's got no personality. He's just business. He wants to win, and that's fine. Let let the guys like Ian Cole have all the personality in the world and let your superstar be just that. Well, and kind of going off of what Ryan O'Reilly said, that he was surprised he only had 12 minutes, and kind of what you're saying, that it's almost like he's transformed into this more robotic, straight-faced guy, and that's something yeah. you and I touched on at kind of at the beginning of this season, if you recall, just how it seems yeah. like he's taken a huge step forward in, in terms of maturity and just leadership and now we're seeing it when it really matters most i think this is the same kind of evolution that Sidney crosby went through after his first two three years in the nhl where now you never hear a smidge about Sidney crosby he's just there to play and win and every year he's relevant even if it's quiet and uh 
that's what McKinnon is now, man. I don't think nowadays if if the Sam Gerrard incident happened that happened against Arizona a couple years ago when Zach Ronaldo and all those guys jumped in, I don't think McKinnon would jump in anymore. I think it'll be somebody else that's jumping in because McKinnon knows he is more valuable on the ice. We saw that in the game against Tampa Bay this year when he laid out Andre Pallad and all these guys came after him. He just simply avoided it. He kept skating away. He had a he had a little kerfuffle with St. Louis as well where him and Petrangelo were pushing and shoving on their way to the bench. And he said, screw it, I'm out. And he just went down to the bench. So he's evolved into someone that can control his, his let's call it anger, temper, emotion, and, and focus on being on the ice because that's where he's the most valuable. And that's why he only has 12 penalty minutes. And I think that attitude translates for him off the ice too. You know, I could easily yep. see him being a younger guy and maybe, you know, taking some shots <laughs> with, the bu- with, with the boys and having a good time. But then, you know, three, four years went by and he, he took a step back and said, look, that's, that kind of behavior isn't, hasn't helped me at all. I haven't been a championship y- yet, and I'm, it's not going to help me be a champion. So I'm going to adjust everything a little bit. And it seems like he has that more Sidney Crosby-esque mentality where he's not going to let any distractions get in the way of the goals he's trying to accomplish. And he's also still 24. He'll be 25 in September, so during this playoff run because it's a weird season. And uh, he's still under contract for three more years at a very reasonable dollar. And he's already openly admitted that he would take a pay cut, whatever that means. Uh, Anything under league maximum is a pay cut for a player like McKinnon. But he's going to be around for a while, man. That's what I'm trying to say is as a 24-year-old, he's still coming into his own. And in a decade from now, we're going to be talking about how McKinnon is still a point-per-game guy. Start building the statues now, huh? Let's let's start planning them. <laughs> That's something the Pepsi Center definitely needs is is a good amount of it statues. Does. It does for all the guys that we've had come through this this uh, franchise and win Stanley Cups and get their jerseys hung into the rafters. We're missing those statues outside, definitely. Yeah, I would say some Nuggets players deserve that too. Moving on to the social media moment of the week, we're going to give this not to an Avalanche player who's actually held it since we started this little segment, but somebody very deserving and very near and dear to all of our hearts, I think, and that's Coach John Tortorella of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Gotta love him. Gotta love him. If you want to give him, go ahead and and, and explain a little bit more about the uh, social media moment. Somebody asked him in Columbus, obviously on Zoom, uh, the cameras might pick up some swear words along the way because there's going to be no crowds in the arenas and just sort of your thoughts on that. And Tortorella looked at the camera and said, I don't give a shit, to be honest with you. <laughs> Simple as that. It's it's peak Tortorella. I love it. It's it's what makes him who he is. Uh Extra shout out to him because he is up for his third Vezina trophy, or not Vezina, the Jack Adams trophy for being a coach, not a goalie. Uh, he's up for his ver- for his third Jack Adams trophy, which is would be tied for the most ever. I can't remember who he would be tied with. And this is his fifth nomination and second with Columbus, man. Just reminds me of that white chicks quote. Where you you said it. Well, you were thinking it, right? John Tortorella just kind of said what we all feel. He, said, he said what? what we all feel and what every single player feels. No one's going to bite their tongue on the ice in the middle of a game. They don't care if the fans are there or not. Half the time, they tune out the crowd, and that's the reality of it. Uh, to, to, to these hockey players playing playoff hockey after four months of sitting at home because of a pandemic, it's no holds barred, man. Right. Shout out to John Tortorella. Time for the Mile High Sports. Three stars of the week brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. 
star number three. You lightly touched on it, and he's actually gotten a couple stars here lately. Not somebody you think would get a star right now, but Tyson Jost. I want you to break that down while we're giving him star number three this week. So like I said, Tyson Jost started on that fifth line with Kamenev and Tynan. Um, I asked Bednar if that was the way it was going to be, and he said we haven't made any decisions yet. But the reality is Tyson Jost has not seen any time away from that line. But despite that, he's looked great. He's looked really good. Um, he finished the season strong after the trade deadline. So it's, you know, none of us are rooting for Jost to fail. We want him to succeed. Right now, it's a numbers game with the Nemesnikov edition and fully healthy lineup for him to not be there. Uh, but it's great to see him doing this because now you know if anybody takes a night off there's a guy that can replace them in the lineup so you cannot be a passenger at any time during this playoffs because the 13th forward is someone that's itching to get into the lineup and has has done all the right things at camp he doesn't have his head down he's not upset about being out of those top four lines he's he's just here to play and and compete and he's he's doing exactly that so stick taps to 22 year old tyson jost who's showing that maturity and that growth and just as we mentioned earlier it's a luxury to have a guy like that as your 13th forward i mean it's upsetting for some avalanche fans to not see him pan out the way they wanted him to but the fact that he is still more than serviceable and is fighting for an actual roster spot is just is just great news and a great indicator of, of times ahead. Yeah, I mean, the Avalanche had two number 10 overall draft picks in a row in 2016 and 17, and they took Rantanen and Tyson Jost. And uh, we all expected Jost to be a little bit more than what he is, but nobody expected Rantanen to be as good as he's been. So it's a trade-off I'm willing to take, and it's two guys that play a lot of games, and, and that's all you want from your draft picks. You want them to make it to the NHL and play games, and Tyson Jost is doing that. So... Uh, he definitely deserves a third star, and I'm excited to see him when he eventually does get a shot in this lineup during the playoffs. I'm sure he'll be happy to hear he got another star this week. Star number <laughs> two, and this one isn't, I mean, star number two and one aren't very much out of left field at all. Very predictable, but they're the only two Avalanche players making national headlines, starting with star number two. That's Kale McCarr, of course, for officially being nominated in the Calder Trophy races. As I mentioned, I don't think there's going to be much of a competition. Quinn Hughes is going to put up somewhat of a fight, but um, you know I'm going to be looking on DraftKings here shortly to see if there's a futures bet I could put on Kale McCarr winning that because I think that's a no-brainer slam dunk. 100%. Yep, and uh, I agree with you there. Uh, McKinnon, it's going to be a little bit harder for him to win any of the two awards he's been nominated for so far and the third one that we're expecting him to be a finalist for, the Hart Trophy, the league MVP. Um, but Kale McCarr, I feel like we'll have this one in the bag and it's just a testament to the player he is and how, how great he's been since day one. Yep. Super pumped to see him back on the ice as well, but not as much as I'm pumped to see star number one. And that's because he got two award nominations this week. And like we just spent a good amount of time talking, Nathan McKinnon gets star number one. I think if you look back at the stats of all time, uh, avalanche talk stars of the week, he probably is hands down the guy with the most star number ones and deservedly so. So Nathan McKinnon, way to go on your two um, nominations this week. I know you're listening. Yeah, he's he's absolutely listening. I mean, hey, when they're in the bubble, they might have nothing better to do but to listen to us to talk about hockey. So 
yeah, like I said, he's he's got two finalist nominations already, and the Hart Trophy will be announced Tuesday. So I'm excited to talk next week about how he's up for three awards. Absolutely. Other than that, that's all we really have on the jacket. Remember, stick around here for the end of the show. We're playing that nice little snippet of the four guys talking about what this team looks like going into the Stanley Cup Finals. And, of course, read Arif's article that corresponds with it on milehighsports.com. Anything else you want to throw out there, Arif, before we get out of here? A couple things. Number one, uh, we are obviously brought to you by DraftKings, the number one sportsbook app in America. Number two, when are we playing some tennis, man? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I was actually going to text you that the other day, just thinking the same thing. I've been moving. I had just bought a new house, um, so I had a lot of stuff to move. But when I pulled out my racket, I said, oh, yeah, i got to go whoop Arif's ass here soon. So let's get that going. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to whoop your ass. And like I like we've said before, any listeners out there that like to play tennis, we're both in the South Denver area. Give us a shot. I know hockey season is going on, but it is the summer because of the pandemic. So we can definitely play some tennis and talk some hockey. Hey, let's get some drop in roller hockey going too, if you're into that. Because I'm in. <laughs> Other than that, thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Um, we'll catch you next week with more updates on Avalanche Hockey. And other than that, for Arif, I'm JJ. Hockey is for everyone, and we out you. Hey, Giannis, when you look at those teams that you were on with the Sharks last year and in 2016 that just came up short, is there anything on this year's Avalanche team that you see as a difference that could possibly get you guys over that hump? How do you compare those San Jose Sharks teams that were contenders with what you have now in Colorado? Um... I think we have more depth here now. Um, I think I said this before already, but I, I feel like this this team this year is the best team I've ever played for. Um, tons and tons of offensive skill. Uh, like I said, four, even five good good lines who can who can all all play good offensive hockey. So um, I would say that's that's the one difference. When I look back, yeah, I think we we have more depth. In, in this team in Colorado right now when than we did when um when we won the Stanley Cup with Washington. But I think just what I said about uh, having chemistry off and, and on the ice is a big key. If everyone comes together as one unit, I mean that's gonna take us a long way. Um I mean we've seen teams that's been struggling with that and, and not going so far. So I mean that that was one of the keys that we wanted that we all came together and working for each other and have had each other's back. And I think we, we have the same feeling in this team and I think that's huge. I do, yeah. No, I do. I think that it's um, it's uh, you know having a deep roster and having guys that that can contribute all the way through the lineup um, are uh, is is really uh, a huge first step to being a successful team. I mean, obviously, there's a ton of other aspects of it. You know, uh, execution uh, certainly certainly luck. Uh, you're going to need bounces. You're going to need calls. You're going to need all of these things, but having a lineup where you can produce uh, and you can rely on all four lines of forwards, all three pairs of defensemen, uh, one or if not two goalies, uh, any of the extra guys that are coming in. Um, you need to be able to rely on everybody out there. And, you know, every team has good players in the first line or maybe the second line. But you see a lot of times when teams are successful, they have third and fourth lines that can drive play, uh, hang on to pucks and, and, and create stuff in the offensive zone. Uh, and looking at our team, uh, I think we very much checked those boxes. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement 
for uh, for our team and for our roster uh, amongst the guys on that roster, which you know I guess is good. So, um, but no, it's something that uh, you know we're very excited about, and, and hopefully we can have success uh, and, and and be a contender for a while. I think it's it's hard to compare teams. Uh, I mean, there's so many you know different different things going on in, in this team and that team. But I think this team, you know, there's a good mix of young players and, and older players. So, um, you know, I've been only here for a little bit, but I've, I've noticed uh, it's a really tight group. And um, I think that's what can get us there. And, and it's very, very balanced. And, and that's, I think, what can get us there.